Hi, my name is John Eichel, and I'm the Chief Strategy Officer at ProLabs. I'd like to welcome you to our first official episode of ProLabs Podcast. Joining me today is Ray Hagen. Hi, my name is Ray Hagen. I'm the Global Product Line Manager here at ProLabs. On this podcast, we're going to talk all about fiber optics, relevant news stories, product overviews, discussion over the best networking solutions, and much more. Our, our first episode here today, we're talking about all about 5G. So 5G wireless is the latest um, you know, trend in uh, networking today and in fiber broadband, believe it or not, 5G wireless. So we're gonna talk about that. We're gonna talk about a few things of specific technologies that are gonna be uh, very prevalent with 5G deployments as we move forward. Ray, I think it's really interesting when you start talking about the underlying fiber infrastructure that powers what we think of as a wireless or 5G network. Yeah, no, that, yeah, totally. Because I think the, the big thing is that the more wireless we become, the more reliant upon fiber we will be. I think that's the big thing for everyone to remember. So, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting when we think about what's driving 5G deployments. So you've got wireless operators that have deployed hundreds of millions of dollars in 4G LTE and next-gen 4G LTE networks. Um, and here, here comes another overlay of 5G uh, technologies, which is, you know, undoubtedly hundreds of millions of dollars of more investment and the things that are driving that. What are your thoughts? Well, obviously it's, it's about revenue, right? If the ability to provide 5G services, so, you know, landline-like uh, broadband services uh, for fixed wireless, you know, that's, you know, that, that adds that average revenue per user dramatically like provides service providers more opportunities to provide revenues. I think that's first in mind why they want to invest in that. So, so a true alternative to wireline internet for your home. Um, yeah. Competitive speeds and latency that, that customers are used to. Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the, definitely one of the promises of 5G. I think, Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, there's a lot of pre press out there about the, the promise of 5G and the things of the, you know, the societal benefits and things of that nature. And you have a lot of, you know, beyond, you know, wire fixed wireless internet, you've got, um, you know, the ability to support the internet of things, you know, massive um, machines talking to each other and, you know, ultra reliable, low latency um, networks, uh, things like self-driving cars. And I think we're seeing it definitely, you know, those sorts of benefits being in, you know, Europe, Asia, Latin America, things there are really driving, I think, beyond the United States where 5G is going to be, take hold, those applications. And I, I see in the United States, one of the big uh, growing demands for bandwidth and hunk for bandwidth is around video-based applications. So whether it's streaming uh, video for virtual reality experiences or just the hunger for more uh, video content and video entertainment, whether it's YouTube or Netflix or one of the other streaming services. Um, and then, you know, a demand for higher resolutions. So as the handheld and, and tablet devices continue to evolve, you know, today we, we think of 4K as, as the next generation technology in the HD realm. 8K is right around the corner in terms of popularity. And then undoubtedly beyond that will be 12 and 16K and just higher and higher bit rates of video, um, you know, continues to, to, to just, eat up bandwidth. Yeah, absolutely. If you've tried to, you know, watch from your, you know, your 4G device, you know, cast that up on your TV, you know, you're not going to get 4K type um, resolution, right? So that's probably, you know, that's where we're seeing, right? Truly cutting the cord it enables people to 
you know, potentially completely cut the cord from a, you know, having a landline internet and, and other um, service providers all in one contained uh, device. Ray, I think the, the, one of the most interesting things is how ProLabs fits into this technology evolution. So we, we look at the products that we sell today, which are fiber optic transceivers and the connectivity solutions that enable the use of those, those transceivers. As 5G networks continue to evolve, we're seeing a huge transition in the mobile operator from a traditional architecture of antennas based on cell towers with you know, front hall, uh, you know, large scale, either waveguide or coaxial solutions uh, traversing the tower to, to, you know, optronics or electronics at the base of the tower to this new architecture where the antennas and, and the radio electronics exist at the top of the tower. And instead of these large coaxial cables with limited uh, distances, um, the use of fiber optic transceivers and IP ethernet front hall to more centralized aggregation points for the baseband units. What are your thoughts and, and you know, around the technologies? There's some specific requirements there like, like CIPRI and timing. You, you wanna speak a little bit to those? Yeah, absolutely. So you know, a few things to keep in mind when you look at that technology where you know, uh, from an operator standpoint, and John, you from long time being an operator, for one thing, replacing or, or growing that cabling up the tower by using fiber and stiff copper is is actually a structural integrity. Allows them to run more cables up that tower because their fiber are much lighter than the big heavy coaxial cable. So that's one thing uh, that it goes for them. But I think, you know, additionally, you know, what we're seeing, we saw with some of the front hall um, 4G is, you know, things like one gig and 10 gig fibers right to the radio. And uh, when you, you're running uh, fiber to the radio and uh, you've got transceivers in that, in that um, radio, you know, that radio is going to be exposed to the elements. You're going to have uh, you know, very hot temperatures, especially high up because you're not going to have you know, shade or anything like that. It's going to be in a clamshell, not climate, climately controlled. So those optics are going to need to be, you know, first and foremost, um, industrial temperature. So rating to plus 85C. So that's you know, very hot in the Fahrenheit world, right? So when we think about, you know, optics that require industrial temperature rating, these are not the run-of-the-mill transceivers that a, a network engineer or operator uh, might be familiar with today. So typically, you've got standard temperature, and, and then there's extended temperature. And then industrial really takes that to a next level with temperature tolerances and stability um, you know, the, the complexity of, of replacing a failed transceiver at the top of a tower, you know, several hundred feet in the air is, is quite a bit greater than walking into a data center and locating a, a failed piece of hardware in a rack and, and replacing that quickly. So um, that industrial temp rating, tell me, Ray, uh, what are your thoughts on, on how manufacturers like ProLabs, like us, how do we guarantee that our industrial temp optics are going to meet those demands? What does that testing process look like? Um, yeah. How do we yeah. stand apart? Absolutely. So there's a few things that, you know, suppliers that, you know, and um, solution providers like, like ProLabs can bring to the table. I think first and foremost, it's going to be in the selection, right? Material selection, the products you're offering, you know, you need to qualify the correct optics. So for example, if you're running WDM optics up to radio towers, uh, that WDM is 
optics of CWDM or DWDM is going to be going through some sort of mux, um, oftentimes a passive mux. And when there's high temperatures, you know, those wavelengths can get a little unstable. And if they get unstable when they're going through that passive mux, you, know, you can lose signal. Through right, that's what you think of as like frequency drift? Yeah, so wavelength drift, right, over time um, and temperature enough hot and cold cycles. So when, um, you know, when we select, you know, optics, we, we make sure that, you know, those optics have you know, the correct um, wavelength stabilization into the optics. So on DWDM, using a, a tech controller, thermoelectric control is, you know, number one, we're not going to um, slide through a lower cost optic to make, just to save on costs. It has to make sure it meets the, the needs of the application. So, you know, those are the big things. And then on top of that, you know, obviously um, what ProLab says, we test every optic in our factory for reach, every forever reaches the customer. But I think upfront selection qualification of optic is, uh, is key there to, to that, ensuring performance over time. So you mentioned one of, the, one of the really key elements of our business, which is the fact that we test every single transceiver that we ship before we ship it. And you know, the, the idea that we know it worked before we put it in the box and we can guarantee it's gonna work when you take it out of the box. I think that's a really key tenant of our business and one of the things that sets us apart. You, you talked about um, the industrial temperature requirement in the clamshell at the top of a tower and you know, hot climates. Um, one of the other technical requirements as we think about you know, IP front hall is uh, eCIPRI. Would you like yeah. to talk for just a minute about the CIPRI requirements and how that enables kind of remote radio head? Absolutely. So, you know, uh, 4G front hall was, you know, very CIPRI um, reliant. So CIPRI is just a, it's a multi-array protocol used for wireless carriers for the timing, data timing for latency. So that's, that is um, really what CIPRI is, you know, to layman's terms. Uh, as we, we move towards 5G and 25 gig, especially, eCPRI is going to be, you know, the next protocol. And eCPRI is basically, I think of it as fiber channel over Ethernet, but CPRI over Ethernet, where just a single, you know, a regular Ethernet connection is always required. All the latency um, and time-sensitive networking is going to take place at a higher level in the switches, usually through an aggregation switch, time-sensitive ne networking switch. So as far as transceivers are concerned, for eCPRI, standard Ethernet is... Um, is going to be, you know, the, the preferred method of transport on that. Interesting. So as we as we talked earlier about um, WDM technologies, I think specifically DWDM being targeted for its uh, density and and uh, uh, fiber utilization benefits. Um, Prolabs is really excited to offer the Clarity AutoTune product, yeah. which is uh, basically a DWDM uh, transceiver. Uh, today shipping at 10 gigabit and tomorrow shipping at 25 gigabit um, with the idea that uh, as these networks evolve with passive muxes um, operators might have to inventory dozens if not up to close to a hundred different transceivers based on the wavelength uh, in a WDM network DWDM network um, let's talk about the benefits of of not just tunable transceivers but auto tunable transceivers from the operator's perspective, and then really when you when you drill further down into the operator's world, the benefit to a, a tower climber that might be climbing the tower to replace a, a transceiver or deploy a new transceiver, and how auto-tune really changes the game for them. 
Yeah, no, that's, um, you know, auto-tunable technology is a, like you mentioned, John, that's a game changer in the industry because, you know, what auto-tunable transceivers do is allows tunable technology to go into host devices that didn't previously support tunable technology. So it puts that intelligence on the, on the SFP or on the transceiver. So I think that's, you know, that's the big technology takeaway there. But from an operational standpoint, when we're talking about 5G and deployments, anytime you're outside plant construction, it's, you know, it's time is money. The faster you can deploy the technology, the return on revenue. And if you're ordering one part for your network, opposed to 40 individual wavelengths, um, different transceivers, you know, that's, that will directly um, impact your ability to, um, to uh, deploy services more quickly. So, and, so Rafe, you know, conceptually then we've got a single transceiver, a single yeah. piece of physical hardware that with a, a software command can be uh, tuned or directed to tune to any one of 96 frequencies in the, in the DWDM spectrum? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You, put, you can simply um, put the transceivers on each end of the circuit, connect them to a passive mux, and they will then in turn automatically find each other and tune to each other on the other end. Um, so that's, you know, hence the auto-tune um, uh, coining of that. So that's a, that, that sounds like some pretty interesting magic. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to spend a minute to explore, you know, how that handshake takes place. Uh, between the two optics. So you've, you've plugged in two transceivers through a passive MUS technology. Um, theoretically, one of them is hanging on the top of a 5G cellular uh, tower. Uh, the other optic is at a baseband unit somewhere in the vicinity. Um, there's a, a piece of fiber with a passive DWD of MUX connecting these. Um, how do these optics establish? How do they decide what, what channel they're going to transmit on? Yeah, so um, it's actually fairly you know simple conceptually so so the installer will especially the guy in the tower simply um, insert the transceivers um, connect the fiber optic connectors you know button up the whole clamshell while he's doing that uh, as soon as power is provided to that um, SFP port that SFP on the top of the tower and the SFP perhaps down at the BBU or or at the um, uh, DU well then all of a sudden they'll start communicating with one another and they'll certainly start seeing out pulses of light. Say, let's just say, for example, they'll start channel 20. Channel 20, I might connect it to channel 20. And if it receives another pulse from the other direction, they'll say, hey, I'm on channel 20. You're on channel 20, let's, let's connect. Otherwise, they'll just keep on going down the line until it, they find each other. So it's completely autonomous, completely automatic. Uh, there's no manipulation from a switch um, at the head end or at the remote side or at the top of the tower. It just uh, happens within the SFPs. So the, the auto-tune SFP has intelligence on the, the SFP that causes it to, to begin transmitting and scanning through the entire DWDM spectrum. Um, as, soon as, as soon as that light makes it through the MUX port that it's plugged into, the far end transceiver is going to receive that light as it passes through the MUX. Is there an embedded signal that goes in that pulse that, that then tells the far end transceiver, hey, you, you finally heard light from your, your neighbor, um, take some action? Yeah, there's a little bit of an outer band management channel there, signal that goes back and forth, just a packet that goes back and forth. And uh, they just uh, use that to, to, to do that handshake. Hey, that's channel 21. Okay, I'm gonna set myself to channel 21, a little confirmation, just an outer band transport. But, uh, very, very small communication right. channel. 
So it sounds like, you know, you, you, you basically plug in a pair of these transceivers, uh, connect them, and within a few minutes, they automatically discover uh, the exact port that they've, plugged in, they've been plugged into. Uh, they handshake and tune to the correct frequency. If you, if you change them, if you move them, let's say these, these auto-tune transceivers are plugged into uh, channel 41 of a DWD MUX, and you decide you need to regroom your network, and you, you move them to channel 45 or channel 81. What, what happens then? Yeah, as soon as that um, transceiver loses, you know, loss of signal, LOS, uh, it will go back into that hunt process where it's going to go look for um, what channel am I? And it will then automatically reconnect with the other end. If you ch switch MUX ports with that transceiver, it will then go ahead and start the process over again and look for its uh, paired transceiver on, on the other end. I got to tell you, Ray, that that really changes the operating mode. Having, having been in, in network engineering operations for a couple of decades, the struggle of having the right channel, uh, the right frequency uh, transceiver in your hand, um, plugged into the right MUX port, assuming you have that open MUX port available, this really simplifies operations um, engineering and, and more importantly, I think, uh, service restoral when, when an incident has occurred. Uh, it's just absolutely a game changer for operators and, and maximizes that fiber uh, asset that they've got. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. It's um, we definitely feel it's going to be a big game changer, especially in the 5G world. Well, I, I think we've, we've really um, discovered that 5G uh, technologies are being driven by just a tremendous hunger for bandwidth across multiple applications. Ray, I think you highlighted Internet of Things and the ultra low latency uh, necessity of self-driving cars. Um, I think the, you know, ProLabs has, has uniquely positioned itself to be a tremendous partner for uh, network operators that are considering the deployment of 5G. We've invested hundreds of hours of development and testing um, both our, our standard transceivers, our DWDM transceivers, and most recently our next generation auto-tunable transceivers uh, into cellular um, providers networks and uh, pass through those qualification tests. I'm, I'm really excited about the future and, and the focus of our business in, in enabling this next generation technology. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, through the, you know, through the pandemic here, I think we, we see that, you know, broadband access is going to be, you know, a big part of how we move forward because I think regardless of where we're at, you know, you know we're going to need to work and socialize from a distance. So all the different, um, areas of broadband access are going to be part of our future. Well, folks, I believe that's all the time we have for this podcast episode. Uh, thank you so much for listening in. Ray, thank you so much for, for participating in this conversation uh, with us today. Uh, please follow us on whatever podcast platform you're listening to, and also subscribe to the ProLabs YouTube channel if you would like to watch more videos about our products and our technologies. For any questions about ProLabs or any of our own products, uh, please visit our website, www.prolabs.com. Thanks again, and we'll, we'll catch you on the next episode.